The first time Martha Chavez made me laugh, I knew she was brilliant. We were in Mexico City and I was exhausted from a travel and smog-induced migraine. Maybe you know how those feel. So I was propped up on this table and just laughing. Welcome back to The Feminist Agenda, a podcast that explores what it means to be a professional feminist, how to bring feminism into your work no matter what you do, and we'll talk about how we keep our agendas organized. I'm your host, Veronica, and it's October, and I am really, really pissed that Halloween is essentially canceled. So in my home, we've been doing a lot of pandemic redecorating. We spiffed up our dining room that required me to clean out my bookshelves. As I was purging books and putting new ones up, I was thinking about the last time I was in a bookstore, specifically my favorite bookstore, Women and Children First, Chicago's independent feminist bookstore. And honestly, I can't remember the last time I was there. I do know I sent my daughter to pick up some books I ordered for her over the summer. And I miss the store so much. Even if I don't need new books, because <laughs> I don't. I just like go in there, I like seeing friends, I like seeing the staff. And somehow the old adage of Latina moms came to mind while I was organizing my books. Hay comida en la casa. And thought to apply that to me and my book addiction. Hay libros en la casa. Usually when I get an idea like this, I write it down somewhere, a notebook, my bullet journal, maybe a sketch in Evernote, and then it stays there forever. This time, a friend shared her son's new sticker idea with me, and then I remembered that he worked for this promotion company that does t-shirts. And before I knew it, I had a small shop up for libros and La Casa Tees and Totes. But it is one of those shops where I have a minimum to meet. It's only 10 before they're printed. So 10 teas and 10 totes. My deadline is October 16th. So if you're listening before then, check out my link tree for the link to order yours. And to be clear, I really do want you to buy more books to put in your totes. (laughs) So let's get to my conversation with my friend, Martha Chavez. Hi, welcome to the Feminist Agenda. Hello. And I, <laughs> what is our Mar- agenda? <laughs> exactly. That's what we're going to talk about. Yeah. Uh, can you introduce yourself to the listeners? Yes. I am Marta Chavez. I am a Nicaraguan comedian uh, from Canada. Yes. That's the best introduction that I can tell you. <laughs> I am a Nicaraguan Canadian and I do stand-up comedy and uh, I also am an activist and sometimes I, I've written a couple of plays. I've done a few roles in movies, may, mainly very little roles as a cleaning lady, which now in the quarantine are very useful because I'm cleaning like crazy. <laughs> so, and uh, I met the host, I met, I met your host, Veronica Arreola. I met her in a, on a trip that we did together with Nobel Pre- Peace Prize women. We are important here. We, right. we went on a trip with the Nobel Women's Initiative led by Jody Williams, who won the, the, Nobel, the, 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 peace, the Nobel for Peace. Is that the way you say? Uh, the Nobel, Nobel Peace, peace Prize. Prize? Yes. Yeah, in 1997 for her arduous work on landmines. She's a badass. She and is. 
And we were with a lot of badasses. Ah, we were. Think. That was a complete, that was a delegation of badasses. There was a delegation uh. <laughs> of badasses. I was the least badass of anybody. Because I, I, totally you know, so. I, mean, I didn't know anything. Like, you know, you should have, if I only told you how my eyes were open on that trip. Yeah. Because for <clears throat> being a, an immigrant, I, uh, I was not aware, for example, about the, horrible practices of the Canadian mines. I wasn't aware about that. For me, and like neither was I. Discovering that Canada was also um, ethically disoriented, as ethically disoriented as the United <laughs> States, according. Okay, so yes, the, the, the whole trip was um, eye-opening for me as well. And for to catch listeners up, this was a delegation that we went to Mexico, Honduras, and Guatemala, and we met local activists, all women-identified people, who are doing badass work, and we went there to learn about their badass work. And so much of their work was, to sum it up in a generalization, fighting against companies that either come from the United States or Canada. No, and yes, and also the drug, the and, drug war victims. Yes. Of, we were there to listen to testimonies of of uh, victims of the drug war. Like we uh -huh. saw mothers, mothers that came to talk to us because they had lost children. They were in Mexico. This was in Mexico. Their children yeah. were kidnapped by drug lords. It, it was a, it was heavy. It was a heavy trip. I thought it was very heavy. Yeah, and but it was great because I met you. Yes. And a bunch of other people, but I haven't seen you since. I know I haven't seen you either. And the one time I was in your neighborhood, you were on tour. Yes, so. I had to go some I was away. My yeah. life except for this four this past four months, I've been I have been staying put, you know. <laughs> because of the COVID. <laughs> yes. Um yeah. so why why do you think uh, why do you think the Nobel Women's Initiative thought we needed a comedian on this delegate on that delegation? I have been wondering that myself for years. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. You know, I think that I think that um, either Liz or Rachel. I hosted a gay pride. I, ho I hosted LGBTQ plus pride on a huge stage in the at Parliament Hill in Ottawa. And uh, it was like nine hours of a straight, you know, not, not straight, no pun intended, like I mean, of hosting nine <laughs> hours, introducing people on the on stage. And, said, and then they, uh, they may have thought that I added value to that, or maybe they thought that, uh, that I was going to keep it light. Who knows? But it was very hard to keep it light. Like, how can you keep something light when you've been hearing mothers losing children, right? Yes. So there, there were some... You know, like uh, not not all of us were badasses in in their sense, like yeah. Pamela, or uh, or the other lady who lives in Mexico. What is her name? Um, Laura. Laura yes, Carlson. Laura. Yeah. Yes. There were some heavy hitters there, and then there, there was me. <laughs> <laughs> and me, I just felt like then too. I was just like, what? But at least I'm you've here. Been doing, but you've been doing work with them. You you have been yes. a feminista in those days and everything. Yes. Yes. For me, it was like kindergarten, not not in feminism, but in heavy issues. Oh of, yes, of, of, of uh, 
of, of like, especially coming, I come from Central America. My family lives in Guatemala. Uh -huh. And um, in, a, in a way, marginalized in the way that they don't, they have lived in Guatemala the same time that I have lived in Canada. Like uh, I came to Canada, they sent me, my parents sent me to Canada to finish high school, to stay at, a, at my aunt's house. And, um, and then I couldn't, let, then they, they were kicked out of Nicaragua. And then I couldn't go back to Nicaragua. I couldn't go back to go to Guatemala because I didn't have papers and I already had a girlfriend here. So I wanted, I decided somebody uh, give me the orientation here that I, I should apply for political refugee status on account of my parents. So mm -hmm. I stayed here and my, my family stayed in Guatemala. So when I went there, I was really afraid that anything I could say would be they would suffer the repercussion uh -huh. so i was very on top of it i was very tense when we were in, in guatemala yeah because uh because of that you know like uh we grow up w with that idea if you say something you may pay with it right but ever since then since uh, since that trip is like if you open this the doors for me and i got boom and i got involved <laughs> in a lot of things you know <laughs> Yeah, you got involved in a lot of things, including um, hosting the Nobel Women's podcast. Yeah, that, when feminists, uh, yeah, when feminists ruled the world, you should see the resistance that I have found for that name. Yes, from, from the comedy community and everything. What do you mean? Well, when feminists uh, rule the world, what, what they think that it is something uh, exclusionary that you want to exclude people and, and what uh, I think the, the name is because the, the novels and the, and the people that, that they created it, um, uh, they, uh, they decided to name it like that, meaning the ideal is that everybody at one point in time, men, women, uh, transgender, folks, non-binary, everybody will be a feminist. Like, uh, you know what? Uh, right, yeah. That's the, which would be ideal because then there would be balance in society, but it's so hard to go around explaining this. Yeah. yeah. So how, what's your definition of feminism? Uh, my definition of feminism is that, you know, that uh, we have the same rights and, and I guess the same obligations and, and uh, privileges that men have. But the, the thing is that we have to fight for them. My mother was an, an early feminist, though. Uh -huh. My mother, I grew up in a feminist household in the sense my mother was of the first generation of women lawyers in wow. Nicaragua. The first wow. ever the women lawyers that graduated in Nicaragua. My mother, my mother was, a, and she always worked. She always worked outside the house. But I always say, yeah, my mother could... Uh, afford to be a feminist that work outside the house because she had wives in the sense of, of you have uh, nannies. Yes. It, it, it was, it's not as expensive as it sounds, but if, if you are of a certain, we were not rich, but we were right. of certain privilege and then you can afford to have people that take care of the house mm -hmm. and take care of the children. And in fact, my nanny is still alive. Oh. And she's like our mother. She's in Guatemala. Uh -huh. My parents passed and uh, my nana is still alive. Yeah. Uh -huh. yeah. I, the, the progress of 
working outside the home for women really does lay on a foundation of other women who are Uh doing care work, whether it's cleaning or caring for our children, caring for elderly parents, elderly family members. So it's not, um, it's a common thread. That's, that's, that's the definition of feminism. And, and I think I, um, I have always been a feminist. Uh, I have become more cautious, let's say, as we all have, in language, in uh, expression, in uh, the things that I demand from my uh, colleagues, from my male colleagues and my bosses. Being, I think that when you do stand-up comedy, though, by, defini- by default, you are already a feminist. Because it's a, it's a, a very, a very male-dominated milieu. Uh-huh. Yeah. When when you say you're more cautious with your words, does this mean you're, you you feel like as a feminist, if you say certain things, you'll get backlash, or are you adjusting for our world so that understanding adjusting. that certain word there are certain words that we just adjusting aren't supposed for, to say. For, Adjusting for the world. Let's say, for example, uh, we I used to say, "Hey guys, how you yes. doing?" Like in, innocently, and uh, I have learned because there is some 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 other a lot of people that I now am aware in my circles uh, that are uh, non-binary or transgender who do not go with those uh, with that word. Yeah. Uh, things like that adjustments i i mean not because i think that i will get backlash but because i think that um that you have to learn yes yeah that you definitely. have to to adjust to the to learning right yeah our language is evolving and um addressing a group of people as guys is definitely one of my biggest challenges yeah um, I, I do it a lot when I'm talking to people. If I enter a room or I'm referring to something with somebody when I'm talking to them, um, I'm much better if I'm writing because I catch it. Yeah. Um, yeah, but you have so, to I, like yesterday, I almost say guys, and I was doing a show for a trans woman friend of mine uh, uh-huh. on, uh, online, and I almost said, okay, folks, okay, folks, how are you doing? And remember, this is a second language for me. Yes. In Spanish, too, it's a lot harder to be neutral. It is. Because in Spanish, uh, the table has gender, the car has a gender, el carro, la mesa. It's, it's, a, it's, it's a lot more to demand on language, right? Absolutely. But, but I think that the things are changing for the good, though. I think so, too. Um, yeah. I, I think it's it's changing definitely for the better um, it's changing really fast, which is why I think we're getting a lot of backlash. Um, it seems to be that's how history goes. Swift yeah. changes comes with swift backlashes. Um, so how did you get into comedy? It's, it's, a, it's a funny story. It's a funny story. I used to work <laughs> for a dentist, right? Like, I, like in, uh, back in the day, <clears throat> in, the, in the early 90s, when uh, when the, they still didn't ask for a diploma. You know, like in all my jobs, I, I work retails, I work as a translator, I work, like, I study linguistics, that's what I, I study, but it's hard to get a job in that. So the thing is that my uh, my friend, my Nicaraguan friend, 
she was um, she was working for the other dentist, the neighbor of, of the, and uh, he he was in a pickle. The guy, so he I, I came to for the interview, and he said, "I'm gonna train you." Five years later, you know, when I have I have got like a little career as a dental assistant, he he decides that he wants to go back to Chile, and at that time they don't they don't hire you anymore without a diploma in the dentistry thing. And then I started working in a museum because since I studied translation, I wanted to be an interpreter. So I volunteered in this museum. Uh, it was a museum of the pioneers. Imagine that the pioneer, I had to dress with this face as a pioneer with my Latin face. And then, uh, and then people would tell me that I should speak slower that I should. So I, I always love comedy in Montreal, where I lived at the time, there is a big a Just for Laugh festival. And I, I, but I always, I always watch it from outside. I was uh, terrified that because of my accent, I would not be able, like if I ever, it ever occurred to me to do this comedy, like my friends were telling me, I would never be able to talk because of the language. And then as working in the museum, I thought, why do, like I saw an ad uh, for a comedy course that was taught by the CEO of Just for Laugh, Andy Nullman. <laughs> and then I, I said, well, I am going to take this course at, at Concordia University. I'm going to take it. And then the graduation was a show of the yes. course. Yes. You know, that was the graduation was the show. And I got hooked. Uh -huh. I got, like, <laughs> like I did the show. And it was funny because it was the same five minutes that I practiced and practiced. But OK, I take the course with him, but after I start going to amateur nights to watch uh -huh. others, you know, and then, then uh, I practice it. My first joke was, I know that you, you'll think I have an awful accent and I don't give a shit. That was my first joke. <laughs> I, was like, I thought it was genius. So anyway, the, the time of the performance comes and uh, it was a Monday night. Uh, I still remember people used to smoke still in clubs. And, uh, and I, I, I had like eight people in the crowd, and but it was very empty. And there were like uh, three uh, exotic dancers, strippers <laughs> in the front row, throwing, throwing uh, like, you know, from a bag of chips, of, of, uh -huh. uh, of fries, or how do you, do you say chips in the United States? Oh, we call them fries. Fries from a bag of, like, you know, like throwing at the, at the MC, like, and I thought this is gonna be horrible because one of the things that, you, that you're terrified when you start doing comedy is heckling. Yes. Because I thought they're gonna heckle me and I'm not gonna know how to answer. And then uh, they, the MC finally says to them, well, you know, ladies, um, it's been a long night and uh, your, your next act, she's the only woman in the show and she um, and she's new. This is her first time. So be nice to her. So then everything I said, everything I said, they cheer. Woo! <laughs> and the next day I wake, I woke up. I swear I never will forget the way I woke up in this state of grace. Like, like I had never, I think, had that feeling. Uh -huh. like, like in this state of grace. And I, and, I, and I thought I was ready to go in the Dave Letterman show. Uh -huh. And because I didn't know everything that it implied, that all the sacrifices that it implied, I start, or all the, you know, the glass ceiling that you may encounter, 
I didn't know that like all I wanted was to 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 become good, to be a good comedian. And then there were only two women in Montreal, yeah. Heidi Foss, who is a fabulous comic, and I. So immediately, like in three months, I was doing weekends. Wow. So, you know, you know, but I like I, I uh, it, it was um, a 25 years later. I still believe that I'm learning, you know, yeah. <laughs> you know, but uh, I have I have had a good career in the sense that I have been working constantly. Yeah. And uh, the only time that I have stopped is because of the COVID. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I know you just had an album that dropped yes. earlier this year. Uh, no, last year. Last year, oh, see, November. COVID, COVID has made COVID everything is, seem so yeah, out of whack. Is, yeah, <laughs> that's an album of old material mixed with the uh, with new material. I never put anything out. Imagine, I never. It was a, because I am such a, a perfectionist in a way yeah. that I, I was I was a whole. Oh, what if I put it? People don't like it. What if people don't buy it? What if it? And then uh, then somebody told me, well, you know what? If you want to have legacy, you have to put it out. So I decided uh -huh. to put old jokes and then some new jokes. And I have I was about to to take my my other album on the in in May, a second uh -huh. one in May, like heavier. You know, this one is kind of like, uh, it's, fl it's funny, but it's fluffy. <laughs> it doesn't reflect who I am now. <laughs> well, so, I, I, yeah, there'll be something to look forward to after COVID is in the history books. Yes, yes. Yes. And uh, you have to listen. Have you heard the, the podcast? Uh, yes, I have. <laughs> what, I your like thoughts? It. Can you share? Can you share? I, I really like it. I have, I have not listened to every episode, but I have listened, liked what I have heard. And I do like, um, I, what I found is that you are listening to the podcast and listening to your album and you have a different way to carry yourself. And I yeah. appreciate that so much that you are. Oh, you listen to my album. Yes. Yes. I'm not going to put you in that spot, whether you liked it or not. Did you yes, like it? I did. Yes, I did. It's good. But you know, I'm going to, you asked me what, what was my feminism in my comedy. For example, my bit about chunky chicks. Uh -huh. I don't know if you remember the bit about I the store. I don't remember that, but. It's the store for, for bigger girls. I say I went to the store for chunky chicks. Uh -huh. Right? And then uh, somebody told me, is that fat people bashing? No, it's the contrary. It's the contrary. What I'm saying, because at one point I say, you know, that um, whenever they catch a serial killer, that I say, why is it that no, the, the, story, the story is that I went to the, the Chunky Chick store? Uh -huh. to the to the bigger girl store and that they only have horrible things you know like yes. uh, flowers 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 horizontal stripes and i say why do designers hate the chunky chicks we are gentle i know that <laughs> because it's, if you come if you come to my house i'll give you a cupcake and um and 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 we are gentle you know how i i can tell you that we are gentle because when you see shows about serial killers uh -huh. they always say oh he became a serial killer because society gave him low self-esteem. Society uh -huh. sent him messages to hate himself. And then I say, well, if he, that was the definition, that was the formula to become a serial killer, how come there are no more chunky chicks that, snapping on a daily basis? You know? <laughs> that's right, yeah. Hitting people in the head with the, with the diet books. 
<laughs> sitting on their faces. No for pleasure. Absolutely. That's right. So it is, it is, but, but uh, uh, you know, like it can be taken in several layers uh -huh. because yeah. that's true. Like uh, it, it's like, like we were talking about the, the Black Lives Matter protests that people are saying, oh, in the, oh, the riots and all that, you know, but I'm surprised that people that have been so oppressed for, so, for such a long time, like that's all have, they have done, you know? Uh -huh. Those little riots, in a in a way. Yeah, um, I mean, you grew up in Nicaragua. Yeah. So <laughs> there was, what, how how are you viewing this whole Black Lives Matter, this whole um, national global uprising against racial injustice through somebody who grew up in what has, who is often considered one of the most. Um, corrupt governments oh yeah somoso during somoso dictatorship and uh, and during the, the now they are again the sandinistas are again a dictatorship it's, it's, it's a question of uh, i think it's a populism really it's not a, it's not even right or left anymore it's uh, it's like people that want to perpetuate themselves in power when uh, when i was what 14 they like a, uh, there was an incident that sent everybody in the street and you could not stop it because they killed uh, Pedro Joaquin Chamorro, uh, a, a very vocal, the director of the newspaper, very vocal against the dictatorship. And once that they killed him, it's like you, you opened the floodgates and you could not stop it which is what I thought that was going to happen with this latest, the, the Black Lives Matter protest. And I hope that it doesn't stop. But because of the COVID, I also, you know, I also wonder, well, you're going to the protest and then you're going to die. You know what I mean? Yeah, because yeah. Of the, but, but when you saw that people went in spite of the COVID, you, yes. you thought, this is the straw that broke the camel's back. Yes. And, that, and I hope that we that we continue, not the riot, but I, I, I imagine that they only show you the riots on, on TV. But here the protest was very peaceful here in, in yeah. Canada. Yeah, the, I mean, our, the, the demonstrations have been continuing on a daily basis in cities around uh, the U.S. and I'm sure around the world. Uh, and we do often only see it on the news when somebody breaks a window. Yeah, and sometimes it's, they have professional people doing it, that it's not the people protesting. Well, here in Canada, it's like if it opened also another, um, another. how would I say, it was, it's been simultaneous. It's been like here in Canada, we have, so we were under the impression that Canadians are nice, that Canadians yes. are so polite. But then uh, another thing that I have learned and it has, has broken my heart, is the situation of indigenous people here. Yes. And also in Canada, there was a slavery. Yes. And uh, two, three days ago, uh, they went and, and people went and painted the statues of uh, John A. Macdonald, the father of the Confederation, the first prime minister of Canada, who had, there are long, long writings by John A. Macdonald about exploiting indigenous people. He created the what they call the the residential schools oh when they they, they would yes. take indigenous children or i don't know if he created it maybe i'm mistaken on that 
but he was totally anti-indigenous. So they went and painted in pink the wow. statue, which is not, you know, like it's right. a statue. Right, it's a it's statue. It's a statue. Indigenous people still don't have water here in some yes. places. Like they yes. don't have a drink, drinking water. And you're telling me that you're going to be throwing people in jail. They threw them in jail. Yeah. Because the statue, but they were, there was a huge protest. So the, the, the people that were thrown in jail will come out. It's, it's worth, is the world this kind of awakening. But the United States government has all the machinery to, to, squeeze, to squash, you say? To yes, stomp on any, to, start, to squash on any protesters. That's the reality. And um, we are recording today, uh, just a couple of days after uh, Trump, uh, I'll say his name, uh, but not his title, yeah. um, has said that he was going to send um, he sent troops. Them to he, he's going to send them to Chicago, where I am. Um, oh, yeah, so the paramilitary. I'm, Yes, the so paramilitary, we'll just like Pinochet, just like Somoza, just like anybody, it's like it breaks up to me, it breaks my, and I am obsessed with the news of the United States. Yes, because in partly because of the United States, is that I am out of my own country, you know, uh, of Nicaragua, because the Somoza was a puppet of the United States, like, and they conducted business with Somoza as if Nicaragua was their farm. Uh, so I, we, we depend, and here in Canada, we, like, like the father of Trudeau said it, uh, being their neighbor is like sleeping to, uh, to a lion, with a lion, no matter how gentle the move, yes. it will affect us. Yes. So anything that happens to you guys, it, it affects <laughs> us, but it breaks my heart. It really does. It is heartbreaking to know that there are so many people getting sick and you don't have um, health care. Yeah. It is, it is heartbreaking. I, and, I know. Uh, and your daughter, you have a young daughter. Yes. Yeah, that's, yeah. The, that's it. You know, thank God I only have cats. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she's going into her senior year of high school and it's... It's amazing in all the worst ways <laughs> yeah. because we're, we're at home. Her school is likely to start completely online and all yeah. those things that you think about in the classical senior year way are, is just not going to be there. It's going to be a different experience. Her class is going to be have a different experience than anybody else. But it's better than, than going to school. It is. It so, is better than going to school. It's, I don't know, Veronica, when are we going to be out of this? I have no I idea. There are people out there who just walk around without masks and think this isn't It drives uh, me crazy. Real? Yes. It, it drives me crazy. The, 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 there was a protest here in a park. They call it uh, hugs, not masks. Oh, no. <laughs> and I say this is like equivalent that in the, at the height of uh, HIV, People will be going orgies without condoms. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. Yes. It's, yes. It's like it's crazy. It's like uh, and then you you go outside. I go always with my mask. Yes. Because I am a germaphobe, and I uh, every time I get a cold because I have asthma, I almost die. So I have to. I know that if that thing, God forbid, attacks me, who knows if I'll survive it? So I am. And I, and I wear my mask and you see how the people look at you with hostility. Yes. If you're wearing your mask. 
But now I go I, with that. I find it, what puzzles me the most is the idea that people are hostile to masks um, or keeping distance because somehow you're communicating that they are dirty as yeah. opposed to acknowledging that there is this virus that nobody can see. I might have it. You might have it. And so let's just play it safe. In case, you know, like, what yeah. is the problem? It's in case, it's in case. But you should see how many people I have unfriended from uh, the from Facebook and, yes. and everything. And, and comedians, the, 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 my colleagues having a softball game oh. on Sunday with the Yak Yaks logo. Uh-huh. And that then afterward they are hugging and I said, you know what? You know what's gonna happen? We will never open the club. Because if one of you, God forbid, gets infected and, and the, the rumor runs that they got infected at a yak yaks game, uh-huh. we will never open the club. That's another thing. I I am unemployed. I'd rather be the cleaning lady, Veronica. <laughs> <laughs> you, a lot of experience I on have a screen lot of for that. Yes. <laughs> no, but that's what I say, you know, I, I chose the wrong profession. Because now that's what they need, you know, they need cleaning people. <laughs> or essential workers. Yeah. Um so which which comedian, which comic, uh, which comic it is like which comic right now do you feel like is doing it right? That you're mm. like, that's that's the that, that's the way I should be doing things or nobody. Nobody. You know how comedian, <laughs> comedians are egotists. We all think that we are the best. The thing is that Canadian comics, we don't have the, the opportunities that, that you have. And even in our festival, they, pro, they prompt the American comics more than us because, of course, it's a catch-22. We are not famous. And why are we not famous? Because there is no, basically, there is not a, a show industry here where you can become famous. There is, there is a, like everybody that, that uh, wants fame and fortune, you better go to the United States. But I didn't want to go, be, well, at the beginning I did want to go in 2006. I had money saved up and then my mom got sick. She got, my mom got sick with cancer in the brain. So I went to stay with her in Guatemala and I don't regret it. And then when I came back, I had all my savings had gone because of that. And then I met Linda, uh-huh. and Linda won't leave Canada. And I am happy for the first time in my life, like really happy, which is what I always wanted, to be happy. That's what am I gonna go, go do, you know? Like uh, I, I am already long in the tooth, like to go to, <laughs> to try uh, fortune in Hollywood. But I mean, my favorite comedian is Wanda Sykes. Okay. She's Wanda Sykes, and who is doing it well? There are a lot of people doing great comedy. I love Lori Kilmartin, uh-huh. whose mom just died of COVID, and she wrote oh. a bunch of very um, funny yet very poignant tweets about that, like when her dad died. Who is who is? I love from the old days. I love uh, Elaine Boozler. Oh, I, yes. like, um, I like. I uh, like. Who else would I say that is doing it? I love that girl. That girl that wasn't even a stand-up. Sarah. Sarah Cooper. Oh, yes. Yes, Sarah <laughs> Cooper. Uh, Trump's... Uh, Trump's... Uh, interpreter. Inter- interpreter. She interprets him exactly. I think it's even, she's like uh, the Trump whisperer. Yes. Like, uh, the, like if people don't think he's an idiot, when you see her, you see how idiotic everything he says. 
sounds. And yeah. uh, well, of the guys, let's say of the guys, I love Trevor Noah. Uh-huh, yes. I love John Oliver. I am even starting to like Jimmy Kimmel. <laughs> Imagine that. I'd have to admit, yes, some days I'm like, oh, yeah, I liked him. I like, kind of like him now, but. Yeah, and then there are, a lot of there are a lot of comedians in big trouble now. Yes. Also, uh, some people say, oh, political correctness is killing comedy, but no. Yeah. The COVID is killing COVID. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> the thing, yeah, the thing is that I, I always say, I, and I quote myself now, I always uh -huh. say, no, but I say, <laughs> if you want to test the, all of these people that are claiming we want freedom of speech uh, so they can insult minorities and they can insult and they can uh, be sexist and they can look at go to their Facebook and grab a picture of their family and say the most horrendous things about her family, how ugly they are, and then post it on a thread where they are arguing for uh, freedom of speech. You will see that immediately they want to silence you. Yes, yes. Because a lot of these people, like a lot of the younger comics are like, oh, well, you know, I want to say... Uh, I can't say anything anymore. No, no, you can say whatever you want. But then it's, it's, it's not like in the old days that people whom you are offending also have a voice. That's you know? right. That's, that's what it is. So part of this podcast is also talking to people about how they keep themselves organized. So <laughs> <laughs> how do you keep yourself organized with all your projects? Well, I guess in the old days, before COVID, with all your your travels, your tours, your recording, your writing, what is your? I have a wife <laughs> <laughs> who is <laughs> nagging me. She nags me. No, but you know something. I uh, uh, is difficult, but I've been. You know that I have been busy in the, even in the pandemic. I've been auditioning on 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 camera audition. I haven't auditioned in a long time because. Exactly, I don't want to play a stereotype, but, but now give me the stereotype uh -huh. because now we have to make a living in our in my main uh, living maker, which is stand-up comedy. Who knows when we're right. going to come back because laughter is the best, best medicine, but laughter is contagious. It, you is. Know? <laughs> it is. It is. Because when we talk, we emit saliva, and when people laugh, they emit saliva too, although... Yeah. In Ottawa, the club is open already with a lot of less people and in, in uh, Calgary and, and Toronto, who knows when. And also travel, stop. So how can I keep organized? I, uh, I, it all depends. Sometimes I get overwhelmed with uh, deadlines. Yeah. Like I had to make a little movie recently for a, for a festival and then I, I came up with an idea how to perform and have a uh, yeah, I'll send it to you when it's, re when it's re <laughs> So it was so overwhelming. But uh, it's like everything, you know, when you work at home, people don't know that, people think that you're not working. Right. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but you are working. I write all the time. I, I will write for one hour a day uh -huh. in, for different projects. Yeah. Like for the, for the podcast, I, uh, they send me what the topics are going to be and I have to write the the little monologue that I write before. I believe that 
one of the reasons that I am the host is because I am accessible I, uh, to, to people that are not precisely inclined to be listening to such heavy topics. Yes. And uh, so I, I try to make it light, but sometimes you have guests that are, the conversation is, is way too heavy, you know? And I, I think there's a way to make things, I think you're right. You make it accessible. You don't always have to make it light, but you make it accessible. You make awesome. it, uh, you make the space welcoming for people to feel like they can take this heavy information yeah. and yeah. consume it. That's what I think. I, I think I, I am ignorant in a lot of things, like uh, in comparison with the people that I am interviewing. And, uh, but, but I think a lot of people that listen to the podcast are also not knowledgeable in right. these things. So it's, it's, it's a good podcast. But so, let me ask you, how did you become a feminist? How did I become a feminist? I don't know how I became a feminist. I just, yeah. I remember very, very early memories of always, of, I remember I have very early memories of knowing that some things just weren't right mm -hmm. um, and that things were unjust and a very strong sense of right and wrong. Well, thank you so much for your time. This was so well, great to catch up with you. Thank you, Veronica. <laughs> Thanks to Martha for joining me on the Feminist Agenda. Don't forget to check out her comedy album, Chunky Salsa. And I'm happy to share a bit of her comedy at the end of this episode, so don't go anywhere. It's from the Soy Canada Gala. So until next time, a reminder that you can find The Feminist Agenda on your usual social media spots, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at FeministaCast. That's Feminist A. You can also email me at FeministCast at gmail.com. That's Feminist no a cast at Gmail. Drop me a note about what you loved, what you, th you think I should do better, uh, and who you think I should talk to, especially if that person is you. Until next time, keep feminism on your agenda and wear your goddamn mask. prime ministers and I have endured the entire career of Celine Dion. I am a Canadian. I am. Thank you. I had to study to become Canadian. They ask you things that have make no sense. Like they ask you who is Canada's first prime minister? Who was? McDonald. What did I say in my test? Tim Horton. That's what I said. <laughs> I have lived everywhere in Canada. I am actually from Montreal, yeah. Well, not originally. I was born and raised in Nicaragua, but because some people cannot get enough political instability in a lifetime, <laughs> I moved to Quebec. <laughs> and everywhere I go, I carry a piece of La Belle Provence in my heart. Is a chunk of poutine stalking my coronary? <laughs>
In Toronto, we have some of the happiest homeless people. You know, there is a guy by the subway singing, if you're happy and you know a person change, cha-cha-cha-cha. If you're happy and you know a person change. And I ask him, what is the reason of your merriment, homeless bohemian? <laughs> and he said, hey, I just moved from Quebec, and, I, and here I don't have to beg in two languages. <laughs> no. And I've been traveling, you know, I'm so Canadian that I went to entertain the Canadian troops in the Middle East. Yes, I did. Yeah. Don't clap. Nobody else wanted to go. But I'm from Nicaragua. If I hear, I'm thinking home. So I went. So I've been traveling. I went to PEI recently. Have you ever been in PEI? Yes. Prince Edward's Island. I went to the house of Anne of Green Gables, yes. Because that's what I love to do on vacation. I love to go to the houses of fictional characters, yes. <laughs> when I was in Germany, I went to the house of Hansel and Gretel. When I was in Rome, I went to the Vatican. <laughs> well, when you come to Toronto, what do you do? You go to the CN Tower, right? You go to the CN Tower. You know that now they have something called the Edge Walk. Have you heard about that? The Edge Walk. People pay good money to go walk on the edge of the CN Tower. And when I say people, I mean white people. Because brown people don't put themselves in danger. We already survived that revolution. <laughs> Maybe an earthquake, a flood. Why would I go, we're going to pay you not know, to be hanging like a piñata like that from the CN Tower? <laughs> Terrible. Another thing I don't understand is Niagara Falls. People go to Niagara Falls. You see all the pictures of the, of the people, white people, <laughs> who have tried to jump over the falls in a barrel, right? Have you heard about that? They never succeed, never. I always wonder, what is the amount of methamphetamine <laughs> that a person has to ingest to decide, I am going to jump over the falls in a barrel. Look, the falls give electricity to the whole province of Ontario. I think I can make it. Some guy was asking me the other day, I was at the falls looking at the Maid of the Mist. You know the Maid of the Mist? It goes close to the falls and it goes back. Close, and it's dangerous. And this guy was pushing a ticket for me to go in the Maid of the Mist. And I said, back off. I am not going no freaking boats. I have my papers. Thank you very much, Winnipeg. You have been